Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health and well-being in the legal profession. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay in Africa, the global leader in legal recruiting. I'm Mark Yacono, your host, and a member of Major Lindsay's Transform Advisory Services Practice. My um, coveted guest today is Diane Costigan, the Director of Coaching and Wellbeing at Winston & Strawn. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're grateful to have you, and I'd love for you to share some of your background with our listeners because it's fascinating and um, so relevant to the topics we're trying to cover on this podcast. Sure. I'm an integrative coach, and I have worked with lawyers my whole career. I'm not a lawyer by training, but I like to say I speak lawyer fluently. And as an integrative coach, I do a few different things. One area I focus on is executive coaching. So I'm certified as an executive coach, and that really encompasses things like professional development um, and sort of the enhancement of professional skills. I also do a little bit of career coaching, so helping our attorneys plan plan their careers, whether that's becoming partner or whether that's potentially becoming a client um, and things in between there. And then I'm also certified as a health coach. And so sometimes I'm talking to people about, it could be a broad range of topics, you know, big picture things like how are they managing their stress, their overall well-being, it could be work-life integration, but it could also be something specific like making changes to their diet or their exercise routine to maximize peak performance. I'm also certified as an emotional freedom technique practitioner, which is EFT meridian tapping, and that's another sort of powerful stress reduction tool that we're trying to incorporate into some of the things we're doing on the well-being side. Can you tell us a little, about, a little bit about what that technique entails and, and how it's used uh, as part of a well-being mindfulness practice? One of our priorities on the well-being side is, you know, awareness and education. And one of the area, key areas of education that we're focused on is helping our population to reduce and manage stress. And so we're giving education about the stress response and the physiology and how it works and how you can override an unhelpful stress response. And then to marry up with that, we're kind of focusing on key tools that, you know, you can self-administer to help bring yourself out of a stress response. So mindfulness is one of them. Um, Just breath work is another. And then EFT or tapping or emotional freedom technique is probably our third tool that we're focused on. And that's essentially, it's a tool, it's a self-administered tool where you basically use your fingers to tap on endpoints of specific meridians in the body. And it's the same meridian system that is used in acupuncture. So you're tapping on endpoints of these meridians while you're talking about or experiencing or thinking about something that's stressful, painful, or uncomfortable. And by stimulating the endpoints of the meridians, you're, you're basically lowering your cortisol, sending a signal to your amygdala that it doesn't have to be in a stress response. 
And so you bring your body into the relaxation response, that rest and digest um, aspect of the, of the relaxation response so that you can experience something painful, stressful, uncomfortable while you're calmer about it. So it brings you out of the stress response and then it often helps you to you know, bring your resources back online to re-examine your situation and maybe come at it from a place of responding as opposed to reacting. So in essence, you're using pressure points to adjust your hormone levels and, and to help your brain chemistry stabilize in in a very rudimentary way of restating what you just said. That was a much more concise and eloquent way to say it, Mark. <laughs> so yes, so that's exactly what it is. Noticing your background in nutrition and the health coaching and the meridian treatment techniques you just described, I have to say, you know, Winston appears to me, at least from, from where I sit, to be a very uniquely progressive big law, uh, law firm in, in its approach to wellness. And I'm hoping Susan Nanch, um, who's your um, chief Chief Talent Officer wrote a wonderful article uh, on this, and I'm wondering if you can if you can share with us what Winston's doing, what it's trying, what it's seen work, what it's seen not work, because um, her her article and from our conversations, which for the audience's sake have been has been numerous, um, Winston is really aggressively and progressively approaching the issue of wellness and mental health, and, and, it, and it's really encouraging, but I, I'd love for our listeners to know more. Yes, absolutely, and thank you. We are, we are trying, and we're trying, we're trying a lot of things because we're trying to also, you know, see what's landing with people and what's successful, um, and so as we continue to try more things, we're also actually looking to kind of go deeper with the things that we notice are working. But I'll talk a little bit about sort of our general approach. And, you know, so Sue Manch, uh, who I had worked with prior to coming to Winston, Sue joined about three years ago, and I joined about two and a half years ago. We also have another colleague, Julia Mercier, who's our Director of Wellbeing, um, Director of Learning and Development and Wellbeing, so she partners with me on the Wellbeing stuff. Uh, she also joined two and a half years ago. But before we joined, Winston was already doing a lot of fabulous things in this space. They had a very um, comprehensive wellness fair that they did every year. Uh, they had lot, you know, really strong programming and strong relationships with the employee assistance program that we continue to leverage today. Um, a big thing here at Winston is our annual walking challenge. People get really into it. So they had a lot of really great things and a good platform to work with. And I think, you know, we are a little uniquely situated here at Winston because Sue, Julia, and I came to the firm because I had focused in particular on health coaching and wellness and stress management in my coaching and in the training I was doing as a consultant, as did Julia and Sue. We were, were uniquely positioned to do a lot of the things we're going to talk about today internally, which I think is helpful. Um, and I would say our general approach has been to really focus on raising awareness and education. That's the key part, the first sort of pillar of our approach. And, you know, one of the key areas we focus on is stress and stress reduction, stress management. Another is mental health. 
So last year in 2019, we usually pick a focus for each year. Last year, it was the year of mental health. And then we've also focused on physical health. So in 2018, we focused on the year of the heart. So we try to pick a focus each year where we're raising awareness of particular challenges or an education, right? As I mentioned, how does the stress response work? This past year for mental health, one of the things that we're really proud of is we had, I think about 15 of us on the, in the talent team and HR team were trained as mental health first aid trainers. So we did a three-day program with this wonderful organization uh, that trained us up so that we then could train internally um, our directors and managers on be, to be mental health first aiders. And so I think we have about 50 people now trained in mental health first aid. And could you, again, um, part could of you that- Could you explain, yeah, could you explain what mental health first aid is? I, I, I confess I actually haven't heard that term before. Sure, um, it's a program that covers, um, it's really keenly focused, uh, keenly focused on reducing stigma, but a lot of what we cover in mental health first aid is helping to educate people on signs and symptoms of some common mental health challenges. Also, you know, just the, the level of prevalence of some of uh, the more common mental health challenges. And, you know, we it focuses a lot on anxiety and depression. There's a section on um, on suicide. There's a section on substance use disorder. And so, in each section, it talks, it educates on the signs and symptoms to understand when someone might be struggling or having a challenge. But then it also provides a lot of tools and a protocol for how to engage with someone who you think might be at risk. And how to get them think, how to get them the help that they need. I think that is fabulous because if you follow a lot of the writing that's been done, both in terms of what's being done, but also in terms of what I call the rueful writing of people who have seen someone that they care about um, die from suicide or from a mental illness and you know, this sort of wistfulness that they didn't really recognize the signs or really weren't attuned to them. It sounds like what you're doing with the mental health first aid is two things. You're teaching people to be aware of when someone may be suffering, but you're doing an equally important thing of teaching them how to actually engage so that engagement is constructive and potentially helpful as opposed to creating, you know, a sense of stigma or fear for the person you're engaging with. Yes. Yes, I mean, and they're not easy conversations to have, and so I think the training is is really important to equip people to have the conversations and to get, you know, a lot of the training focuses on assessing if someone is in crisis, and if they're in crisis, what to do, um, if they're not in crisis, in immediate crisis, how to get them help after. So a lot of it has tentacles out to, you know, partnering with HR, partnering with our EAP, you know, we're very clear that we're not mental health providers. We're just trying to, um, you know, in the best case, prevent these challenges. Um, but to the extent prevention is not successful, then to get appropriate intervention and get people to recovery resources. So can I ask what was the driving impetus between Winston taking such a fulsome approach to the issue 
because we've all known that mental health issues in the legal profession and stress and substance abuse are big issues. And, you know, with the, with the, with the ABA Hazelton study, it became sort of more apparent. But we also know that there's been sort of an institutional slowness to, to, to bring this topic of mental illness out of what I call out of the shadows. And Lindsay mm-hmm. seems to have, um, I, I, I would say this, and I don't mean this in any negative comment, connotation, it's almost Silicon Valley, Google, Amazon-like in its <laughs> progressiveness. I think it's a fewfold. Um, when the firm set a strategic plan, I guess about two, to going on three years now, uh, one of the ten tenets of the plan was to really maximize its talent function and re sort of restructuring the talent team was part of that, uh, which is why Sue herself was hired. So I think it was just a general um, drilling down or doubling down on the talent programs that the firm already had. Um, I think part of that, any law firm that's really smart about how they're going about developing talent needs to look at the wellness, right, of their attorneys, right? I always say like, you, you need to be well to excel, right? And um, so I think it's just smart talent strategy. And I think flowing from that, and, and by the way, you know, I think we're all talking about, I'm, I'm, it's so great that well-being and wellness is getting a lot of attention. And thank you for all you're doing for that. At the same time, you know, I think I did my first well-being or wellness workshop in 2005. And, you know, back then I got interested in in it because I just, you know, I'm really, I like to be successful and happy at work and at home. And I think wellness is a big piece of that. So, you know, wellness in general is a great tool for optimization of performance and talent. Um, I think now we're looking at it also through the lens of instead of the potential of wellness programs that we're looking at it as prevention, right? Um, and that we might be in a state of crisis or problem. I think that's a fair point, but but it also to me sort of mirrors the same things you hear about the legal profession with respect to innovation and other things. And it tends to be behind the curve, at least some writers think that. I mean, wellness and well-being and a lot of the things you're doing have been around for a while, but I think that with respect to the legal profession, the focus is now intensely on how this is a profession in crisis and what the human toll is for not having an approach like the one you're talking about. Right. Um, But I guess getting back to why now, why Winston, strategic talent development. So, you know, I think the firm has been a great leader. Sue is a great leader. And, but I also do think that it's, a lot of it is about the culture of Winston. And, you know, Mark, I was very picky when I decided that I was going to leave consulting and go back to work in a law firm. I wanted to, I was actively part of my career plan, but I was also very careful and a little skeptical right, as someone who does stress management and well-being. And so I was really very picky about the firms that I was considering and just the fact that, you know, Winston was interested in me and some of the articles I had written and workshops I had done 
um, just really signaled to me that this was something that the firm was serious about. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer when my mentor Sue joined and then um, we had the opportunity to kind of implement some of the things that you're seeing um, in our overall well-being plan. One of the things referenced in Sue's article that I'd like to explore with you a little bit is about connection because mm -hmm. the, the evidence is pretty overwhelming that feelings of loneliness or disenfranchisement um, and isolation are, are, are tremendous contributors to, to, to depression. And I noticed that, that Winston actually stresses the whole concept of connection, and I, I was hoping maybe you could share more about that. Such a critical yeah. piece of, of, the, of, of approaching the problem. Sure, and I, again, I think that flows from, you know, Winston's the generally, everyone here is really nice. I think we have a culture of caring, um, which is what I was kind of trying to reference, although I possibly didn't do it as articulately as I could have. But, you know, I think we put a big premium on creating opportunities for our attorneys and our staff as well to get together socially in offices so we, um, you know, we have in many of our larger offices, we have monthly events where attorneys get together, attorneys and staff get together, staff gets together um, to just have some social time, which I think, you know, it sounds so simple, but it really does allow for people to connect and to reconnect, you know, because especially on the attorney side, so many of our attorneys are traveling um, or they're working from clients. And so they're not always in the office. And so it, it just gives people the chance to reconnect socially and to develop those relationships that then can help with like work and business development. Okay. Do those tend to be well attended? Yes, they're well attended. And, you know, we just did an engagement survey and the social events are always one of the things that people say they really appreciate and don't want us to change. Um, so there's a social element, but we're also doing a lot on the corporate um, social responsibility side uh, and our, you know, our chief responsibility officer has put a lot of great pro programming in place where, you know, groups of attorneys and staff can go out and volunteer, you know, at a, um, at a soup kitchen or go into a school and read to a child. We've done some things about plastic pollution. Uh, we've done suicide, suicide prevention walks. So there's the opportunity to give back and to do good, but to also do it with your clients. So that kind of creates the connection. And then also through our training programs, we now, we bring all of our new associates in to have the same orientation for three days where we really, we really emphasize creating that cohort that they can have once they all go back to their individual offices. We do that again at year three and again at year six. And then finally, again, when our newly elected partners um, are announced in November, we right away in December get them all together um, for a day of training and they have a year long training where we're trying to make sure that they have touch points, um, not just when they're together at these events, but throughout the year. And then every other year we have a partner conference to make sure that all of our partners are getting together. So really, you, you've created multiple touch points for people to interact and, and, and to just be with each other. It sounds like 
from socials to forming communities to approach projects to interacting with the community in meaningful ways and then, you know, what I would think is a relatively unprecedented level of orientation and reorientation at different phases, you've created a lot of just connectivity that's almost structural. Yes. And, you know, I, I've done some group coaching programs at the firm and then, you know, we, we get, they're successful, but in those programs, if I have an opportunity to bring all the participants together, which I usually do at the beginning and the end, I mean, those are always 100% attended. You know, people just really appreciate the opportunity to be live with their colleagues. Um, you know, and, and I think it inures to the benefit of things like business development, talent development of our more junior people, you know, wellness, all of it. How has um, how does um, the physical space in your and Winston's approach to to the physical space tie together with its strategy? Well, in many of our offices, we have you know either when we've gotten new office space or redone office space, we're sort of moving to the model of having you know open glass windows, windowed offices, so that um, there's a lot more transparency and visibility and that our staff as well get access to natural light. Um, we're also trying to have more sh sort of shared workspaces and collaborative workspaces and spaces where we have, I would say, you know, just better technology on the video conference side so that you could have a more productive video conference um, with someone in another office. And, you know, in many cases we're moving to same size offices. So a partner has the same size office as an associate um, and that creates more space to get more pe people their, their single offices. But I, you know, I think it also creates a, a greater sense of collaboration and, and equity in that, you know, hey, we're all in this together. What are some of the things that have worked best? And, and if, you, if you're comfortable sharing, what are the, some of the things that you found maybe necessarily didn't work as well as you had thought through the iterative process of, of creating such a program? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think in some ways they're the same thing. So I think hands down, probably the biggest success, like short-term quick win type of success was we, as part of our year of mental health last year, we made the Calm app available to everyone. And I believe we've had over 600 people download the app, which is really great. Um, and you know, which the Calm app, app is, is the Calm app. So it's a it's a meditation app, and it's got um, you know we picked it because it's got it's it's versatile, right? It has guided meditations, but it also has these really calming scenes that you know if you don't want to do a meditation, you could just pull you know pull up Calm.com on your computer, or you could have it on your phone and just kind of get lost in like a nature scene and sounds. And it also has online courses you could do on mindful eating or mindfulness that work. It has things that are spe you know, specific to stress. It has a great section on sleep and sleep stories. And we've had a lot of feedback from um, unexpected feedback we've gotten about the Calm app is that, you know, people are using it to help their children sleep as well, which helps them sleep wow. and reduces their stress. And so it kind of had an unintended ripple effect, which is amazing. 
Um, so that's definitely been a big success, and I may or may not have done a quick, like, 10 minutes, something to center myself before we get on the phone. <laughs> so it's accessible, <laughs> it's versatile, you know, you can have it on your phone. And what I like about it is, you know, there, I think the quickest meditation you can do on there is three minutes. And, you know, I like to say in our stress workshops that everyone has three minutes, like, you know, if we can't find three minutes for you somewhere, that something is seriously wrong. So, um, so I would say that was our biggest win so far. I mean, again, our walking challenge is huge. People get really competitive. They get really into it. Um, and it's really fun. We have our, you know, we create sort of like emojis or the avatars of our managing office partners and they kind of get into it on the chat and it, it gets really um, it gets to be a lot of fun. And again, that's the, another piece of connection. Our mindfulness programming, um, I think each year we've, uh, I've done a workshop on mindfulness, mindfulness and stress, mindfulness and mental health. And those are very popular in our, in our survey that we just did. People are saying they want more. I've also done, you know, when I'm in an office, if I'm there for, you know, enough time, I'll do just like a 30-minute mindfulness pop-up. Uh, that's also been very popular. I would say those programs, the programs we do through, through Winston Wellness are very well attended by staff, not so much or definitely not to the same extent on the lawyer side. So I wouldn't say that is, I wouldn't say it's not working. I just think it's going to work differently. And I think for the lawyers, we've had more success um, in smaller groups, like in our group coaching programs or in our academies, we always do something around mindfulness or stress reduction. Um, and I've been able to do it one-on-one, -on -one, like talking to individual lawyers about mindfulness and about how they can use it and, you know, to the, when they try it and it's not working, trying to help them figure out a practice that will work for them. And then what we've also done is, we record, we audio and video record any training that we do so that if a lawyer can't attend in person or they don't feel comfortable going to a mindfulness workshop, um, then they can listen to it on their own time. And, you know, I guess another big, we just did for the first time, um, I did an EFT workshop, which I, you know, truthfully, you know, EFT is where you're tapping all over your body and it looks a little wacky, although I'm a huge fan and I think it works and it works quickly. So I was like a little trepidatious about doing a big public workshop on it, but it was so well attended. It was so well received. You know, people followed up before we could even get the follow-up announcements out and materials. Um, but again, we didn't have as many attorneys uh, show up to that. So that's something so that moved that <laughs> I think there's, there's, you're not the first. You're not the first person to say that the, the staff have actually been more willing to embrace what's offered than the attorneys. I think it. I think for some of these tools, there is a little bit of stigma to them. You know, definitely not mindfulness as much. But you know, I would say ten years ago when I was a consultant trying to sell mindfulness workshops to law firms. You know, people would say things like, well, I think that sounds interesting, but, you know, could we call it something else like laser focus or time management or, you know, like not call it mindfulness? Uh, so I do think there is a little bit of stigma to the actual tools, which is why we're trying to 
you know, this year we're going to do take our mindfulness workshops and make them into like 10 or 15 minute bursts so that it's like eight weeks. Here's our eight weeks introduction to mindfulness class that you can do, you know, at your desk. You don't have to show up in a room where other people will see that you're there meditating. Um, and here's all the reasons, reminders why it could be helpful. Um, you know, a large part of what we do in the mindfulness workshops is really debunking the myths that keep people from meditating. So, so yeah, I think there is still a little bit of stigma, but what I've been able to do is I try to make it a priority to know every single lawyer in the firm who meditates or practices mindfulness, and then I leverage them. I get testimonials for them when I'm doing a workshop or, you know, we did a profile uh, on our career site for one of our associates who's being trained as a meditation teacher and how he has found that mindfulness helps in a law practice. Um, and, and that's definitely helping, I think, to move the needle. Well, that's interesting because it sounds like you're building both apostles and at the same time you're building some new delivery mechanisms so that lawyers that might not want to necessarily show up and say, hey, I want to learn how to meditate have to show up in a group, but they can they can have it delivered to their desktop or they can do it um, in privacy or at home or, or wherever, as opposed to kind of forcing them to participate publicly if they're not inclined. Yes, and I, I one other thing has started to also shift, which is we've had some of our clients ask for CLEs on mindfulness, especially in states where there's a mental health requirement. So that's kind of, you know, when a client asks and they're interested in having someone come in and train their entire legal department on something like mindfulness, on stress reduction, um, you know, it definitely starts to help shift the perception that, hey, this might be more than just, you know, something that's a little alternative and woo-woo. Have you seen any, any um, sort of trends in which demographic of lawyer tends to embrace the programs? I mean, some of the studies, that, some of the data that came out of the Hazleton study was, was actually very interesting to me because I would have thought that older lawyers, especially older male lawyers, would be more subject to some of these mental health and depression issues, but the data came back that it was really younger lawyers of 10 years or less that had the highest rates of depression, substance abuse. Have you seen any demographic trends in who's using the Winston Wellness programs and, and availing themselves of the opportunities? Yes, I definitely think that our younger attorneys are more open and interested in them. And I, I think part of it is because law schools are doing more these days. Um, to have it sort of in the discussion. But it's interesting at our firm-wide orientation that I referenced this year, we had, um, we had a, sort of a, a fair internally of all the different departments, like our benefits department was there, our recruiting department, diversity and inclusion, and then I had a little wellness table, coaching and wellness table, and we had you know, the things we were giving for the Calm app. Um, you know, we had like instructions on how to download the Calm app. And I had gotten up at their orientation and told them all the coaching offerings, including health coaching. And I was delighted that I, I almost like my little table got stormed because they all came up. You know, I probably had like 10 people at one time interested in the Calm app or interested in health coaching. 
Um, and, you know, just very open about how these are some of the things that they had been working on in school and they thought it was great that there was an opportunity to kind of keep doing that work um, at the firm. And I will also say, though, we, we have had some of our more senior attorneys, which is kind of related, who have children, like college or law school-aged children, who may have been struggling with um, some mental health challenges. I've definitely had some partners reach out um, to find out more about what we're doing or, you know, if we had any recommendations for their children um, on how to get them some help or tools like mindfulness that might help. So I, I do think that in addition to clients being interested, you know, having children who um, kind of are either proactively interested in wellness or, you know, interested in it for sort of um, healing recovery purposes has also helped kind of broaden the discussion. So there's really been a ripple effect as people have seen what you're doing is, is both an information resource as well as something to possibly participate in. But the net, the, kind of the net result is that it is generating more interest and more engagement with the program, if I've, if I've heard you correctly. Yes. Yeah, we saw that in our survey, you know, and people will actively ask when our next program is. And I do think on the attorney side, while it might take a little bit longer initially, I think once it catches, it's going to catch pretty quickly. And I, you know, because I, I can see it in individual coaching, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm coaching an attorney on leadership or business development. At some point, we're probably talking about how they're managing their stress, how they communicate, how they're managing their time, um, you know, and and when people are stressed, I find that you know that's when they're that's when often not always if they're almost you know if they're too stressed then sometimes they're not always as receptive. But you know, a lot of times I'll have people say like, "Well, just tell me what to do because I I just want to feel better, right? I just want to I just want to relieve the stress. So just tell me what to do." It's interesting that your table is swamped with people that are interested in the coaching and in the one-on-one. -on -one. But the way I kind of think about it, as you said, it is a lot of people would like to have a coach or a health coach or someone with help with nutrition. Most people just can't afford to go out and buy those services. So Winston's really kind of made those available so that people can actually get the help that they would like to go out and get if they weren't paying off student loans and other types of debt. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, we're taking a very long look at this, and I think the more people we have doing individual coaching, the better able we'll be to make it into sort of a group program. Um, because, you know, when I did my training at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, um, they do sort of talk about one-on-one -on -one health coaching, but they also have ideas about how to do group coaching. And just like we do group coaching, I, I think group coaching always lends itself well when there's a common topic and health and wellness, you know, you know, is a great topic to do coaching around. And it, I think similar to business development, it's help, it, would, it would be helpful to have the group element where people could talk about what works for them and their best practices. And I think it's always helpful in a group to see, you know, like what are the common sort of struggles and denominators, but then, you know, also that some people may be experiencing anxiety in a different way, you know, and so I think um, I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe a year or two down the line that we can kind of incorporate more group group stuff. 
Well, nothing sparks um, enthusiasm more than the, the contagion of a community is, is what I've found over yeah. the years. And when you can when you can create a safe atmosphere where people can participate in a, a communal event, that group energy does does create um, one heck of a lot of positivity. And, and I think I think what you're doing will be grow increasingly more more energetic and successful and participative because that energy is really sort of contagious. And once you start creating that good energy, then people just want to tap into it. Yeah, and, you know, getting us back to stress, it's also, you know, one of the ways someone can respond to stress is tending and befriending. And, you know, that's in many ways a more adaptive way to respond to stress than fight, flight, or freeze. So, you know, I think, yes, it's got the community piece, but it's also kind of got the actively managing your stress piece as well. So one thing before we before we go uh, that, that intrigues me always about this topic and about firms that have and organizations that have really good programs is how do you help people when they require medical intervention or uh, pharm pharma pharmacological intervention? How do you help people find access to the right resources? Because it's very hard to go out to the market and find a psychiatrist who's covered by your insurance plan and find someone who, you know, is taking new patients do you do any work with helping people find access to care? Yes, I mean, that is gonna be uh, one of our big priorities for 2020, which is, you know, kind of drilling down, you know, I talked about awareness and education. That was one of our pillars. Tools is another pillar. So we feel pretty good that we've got that covered. And then access is sort of the last pillar, you know, access hopefully they've they know they have access to me access to their hr people but also access to the resources you're talking about and which can be complicated and and hard to navigate so one of the we actually have a call on this next week one of the programs we're hoping to put together throughout 2020 is kind of how do you navigate the benefits our benefits system to you know, find a mental health provider or find uh, an outpatient treatment or to find a recovery program, um, you know, and I think to, to answer your, the, the, the question, yeah, how you do it is with a lot of discretion and confidentiality. And, you know, now that we've got our mental health first aiders and we're going to train more this year, um, helping you know, when we notice that there needs to be an intervention, getting them to the right people internally at the firm who can help in a confidential and discreet way, um, and then helping them, you know, make sure that they get connected to the right care. And I think part of that's going to be, we have a really good relationship with our EAP, and, and I really recommend that firms leverage their EAPs. They've done some really amazing um, programs for us. But, you know, I think what we're going to look to partner with them this year is, okay, maybe even simulating, like, what happens when you actually pick up the phone to call the EAP, you know, and what happens yeah. after the first call? And then what is it, you know, you're not going to necessarily have an ongoing, com you know, relationship with the person you talked to at the EAP, so then what does the next step look like? Um, and then also how to navigate, you know, what is it, how do you navigate in-network, how do you navigate out-of-network, 
um, you know, some of our people are probably not on our health care. They're on, uh, you know, a partner's health care. So what does that look like? So, you know, I think we, we need to do more. We could do more on and making that, um, making that easier and making it very clear. You know, I have a lot of people I'll often talk to about or refer the EAP, but you can tell that it's overwhelming to even pick up the phone sometimes and make that first call. So I think the more we can help people navigate what that might look like and what they can expect and how it can really benefit them, I think it, it will, you know, give them the tools to go ahead and do it either on their own if if an intervention isn't necessarily required they just are going to sort of self-select into that but also you know what do we do when um it becomes clear that we have to help someone um, get the help that they need well i think that's that's going to be a hugely positive initiative because navigating through the mental health care provider system getting access to care, finding an appropriate um, therapist or psychiatrist is enormously hard. I know you guys have Brian Cuban come in and do some presentations. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brian has a phrase that he used in the mm-hmm. first time I talked to him on the phone called the ghost list, which is you can go to the directory of mental health care providers and your insurance plan, but they're not all on your insurance plan anymore. or you know, 70% of them aren't taking new patients. So any initiative you have that helps people make that first call to the EAP or resources to help them navigate through how to get coverage, how to find someone who's accepting patients. Um, And in New York City, for instance, a lot of psychiatrists don't take insurance and they charge, you know, $700 plus an hour, which makes it very hard without having some type of guidance for a younger lawyer or any lawyer, really, to figure out where the starting point is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess sort of a tag on to that, another priority, I've started to create a list of, um, there are many lawyers, former lawyers, who have gone on to get their master's in social work or um, counseling who are now mental health providers for lawyers. So, you know, we're trying to get a list in each of our locations of of those individuals because, you know, they understand what it's like to be a lawyer and the lawyer brain and the pressures. And so we want to make sure that we have those resources available. Um, And I think I have at least one in each of our locations. And then I'm also trying to have just alternative providers that we know are credible, whether it's a chiropractor or, um, you know, I know in D.C. a former lawyer who's an EFT practitioner. So, you know, just having a, f- a more rounded, I guess, complement of service providers that that we know are good and that take our insurance. Well, uh, Diane, I have to say thank you very much for participating today. Um, the work that you, Sue, and the rest of the team and, and the leadership at Winston is doing on the, on the topic of wellness and mental health is, frankly, it's not only admirable, but it's, it's, it's truly progressive and heartwarming to see a firm of that stature, size, and scale be so invested in its people. And I hope that you and I will continue our dialogue because I'd like to touch base with you at the end of the year and see so, how some of these big initiatives have either evolved or how some of these new initiatives have turned out because um, you guys are doing a lot of fabulous work. 
you, Mark. I really appreciate the chance to talk about all of this, and, and thank you for all you're doing to raise awareness. It's, you know, it's, as you know, much needed, and, um, and I think it's a great platform that you've created, so thank you. Well, the, the one thing I can say is when you find something that, that you're passionate about, it changes your whole life. And for me, the opportunity to do this podcast and invest in a, a topic that, um, that is near and dear to my heart for many reasons, including my own personal journey, um, it is terrific. And the fact that people like you and Brian and others are and Gina Cho and Lisa Smith and a whole host of others are, are willing to come onto this podcast and um, share their thinking and what they're doing. It is just very gratifying and, and much appreciated. So we'll sign off for now, but not forever. I promise you I'll come back how, how everything's going at the end of the year. And you know, you can you can bet that you'll get a nice handwritten note like everybody does after the end of a podcast. Yes, that is such a nice touch and um and just to say that your passion very clearly comes through. Diane, thank you so much. Have a great day and uh good luck with your initiatives this year. I can't wait to check back with you in December. Great. Thanks, Mark. Thank you all. And this has been Erasing the Stigma, Conversations about Mental Health and Well-Being in the Legal Profession. I'm Mark Yacono, your host. Thank you for listening, and thank you so much for your interest in the topic. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.